0: this is on target a look at politics crime education what's happening in newfoundland and labrador with the people who know the views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station and now your on target host linda swain
1: and good afternoon everyone well it feels like a million years since i've been in this spot doesn't it dave it does for me anyway. I was on vacation for two weeks and then during the course of my vacation, I developed this uh, horrific, <laughs> horrible, upper respiratory thing. Uh, it's not COVID <laughs> but, um, and nobody else in my household is affected. It's some kind of a sinus infection thing. Oh my goodness, I lost my voice and everything anyway. Hopefully, uh, my voice um, uh, perseveres. (laughs) This is my first attempt at an hour-long show since all of that went down. Be that as it may. Well, it's possible that schools, once operated by and sitting on property owned by the Roman Catholic Church in the metro region, may have to be sold off to help settle sex abuse claims against the church for abuse stemming from uh, primarily from the former Mount Cashel Orphanage. Well, a number of church properties have already been sold, as we know. Some of them have been purchased by parishioners. Others have been bought by numbered companies, organizations, business interests. Uh, there was some speculation as to what could happen to schools and whether or not those properties would be protected by the fact that, well, you know, they're schools <laughs> and we need them. Uh, and there are quite a few schools in the metro region still owned by the Roman Catholic Church. Well, my guest today on On Target is lawyer Jeff Button, who represents the lead plaintiffs in the case. Hello.
0: Good morning, Linda. Good afternoon, sorry.
1: (laughs) No trouble. So I want to get to the school side of things in a few minutes. But first, take us through the court process to date. A little history, if you will, for those who may not uh, be fully appraised of all the developments of late.
0: Sure. The core group of plaintiffs were men who were the children of Mount Cashel in the back as far as the late 40s and into the 50s and 60s who were subjected to abuse at Mount Cashel and uh, later in life as adults have uh, sued the Christian Brothers originally and also the Episcopal Corporation of St. John's, which is the the property-owning business arm of the Archdiocese for compensation for that abuse. So the the lawsuit was started a long time ago. We, uh, We issued in December of 1999 spent uh about twelve years battling primarily the Christian brothers who were uh, based outside of Canada, so we had a lot of issues around jurisdiction and uh, and so forth They ultimately uh in the face of our claims and some other claims from the u s they went into their own form of bankruptcy. And uh, over the course of that bankruptcy, our clients and others did receive some compensation. However, it wasn't what their legal entitlement was, in our opinion. So as their lawyers, we continued the lawsuit against the Episcopal Corporation, against the, the Archdiocese of St. John's with uh, mutually agreed on representative plaintiffs. There were there were too many to really run a trial for everybody. And even as it was, it took six weeks to, uh, to do a trial on these four cases where we first had to determine if the archdiocese was liable. And secondly, if so, how much were the men entitled to? So we, we did that trial in 2016. At uh, the original trial, the, the court found that the Archdiocese was not liable. We appealed that. The Court of Appeal reversed that and concluded that, yes indeed, they were liable to these men and, and other men in a similar situation. The Supreme Court of Canada refused to uh, to, uh, to take their leave to appeal application. And uh, that led to their decision, which uh, was finalized in late twenty twenty one to to declare themselves insolvent they They were simply facing too many claims, too much in the way of damages from Mount Cashel and from uh, other priest based abuse claims. To, uh, to satisfy those claims out of the Rassets on hand. So they went into this process that has seen uh, the Basilica and various other properties sold and continue to be sold.
1: So how much was awarded to the plaintiffs?
0: The four plaintiffs were awarded collectively about $2.6 million dollars.
1: And so you say that these four plaintiffs, because there were too many to, you know, you have to have some representative plaintiffs here. So will this be split up among all the um, abuse survivors, or how is that going to work exactly?
0: Well, what happened, and and this is common, everybody agreed that it wasn't necessary to to uh, try all the cases we would try a representative handful and the results of those would give a lot of guidance as to how the group as a whole would be uh... would fear in a court so those four men their cases were tried were we had to call expert evidence accountants psychologists and so on and that was the those are the numbers the court awarded each plaintiff received a different amount so that money is for those four however the uh while it's not a, a straight line extrapolation, if four guys received uh two point six million it stands to reason that sixty or, or more would receive a much, much larger amount. And it was in the face of that realization that the Archdiocese, the Episcopal Corporation, obviously came to the conclusion that it it had no choice but to become insolvent.
1: So is there a likelihood then that uh, you know the full scope of the number of people who suffered abuse at that time will receive compensation?
0: Yes, I I don't think there's any any doubt that that all the claims that are, that are accepted uh, will receive compensation. The uh the doubt remains as to how much which is why we've uh uh, taken on uh, various efforts to to make sure the 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 available funds is as large as possible. Where the number 50 million, we, we've uh, occasionally used that as of other pe- as have other people. Uh, my uh, my uh, thinking is it will take that much at least to satisfy all the individuals who come forward with valid claims.
1: So you represent these four representative plaintiffs, is that correct?
0: Yes, my law firm does.
1: And so, um, you know, some of these cases, as you indicated, going back to the late 1940s, uh, how are some of these men doing?
0: Uh, two of these four representative plaintiffs have unfortunately passed on. Their, their judgments will be there for their families, but they themselves, uh, one gentleman died in 2020 and another early in 2022. Uh, the other two are in their early 80s, but they're, they're well and following this uh, litigation with uh, great interest, as, of course, are, are, are dozens of other men and And a few women too, who were obviously not at Mount Cashel but suffered abuse at the hands of priests in uh, in in various church run activities.
1: So this has been a very long, uh, laborious process, uh, begun back in 1999 when, when the horrors of uh, what was being revealed uh, that happened at Mount Cash were still quite fresh in a lot of people's minds. Arguably a full generation has come and gone since then. Um, what's this process been like for some of your clients?
0: It's... Uh they're They're individuals, so they like all of us, they react in their own individual ways uh, They have all found it stressful, as I'm sure has uh, everybody involved and uh they they have many have found it affirming they feel uh gratified that at the end of the day their uh the, their damages were or their their i guess their their entitlement to compensation was confirmed by the church. That the fact that they did suffer these these terrible atrocities and that there was a party that is legally responsible to compensate them, they, they find that gratifying.
1: Uh, it doesn't take away the pain, no doubt, but as you say, it does, uh, I mean, acknowledgement goes a long way, doesn't it?
0: It certainly does.
1: And are they satisfied with the process to date, or have they been frustrated with with the process? I mean, you've been through an awful lot of uh, legal <laughs> um, calisthenics, so to speak.
0: Uh, they're they're frustrated with the process. Uh, everybody involved at at times is, and uh, law uh, litigation of this sort is very complex we uh we had a 6 week trial the the judge had an enormous amount of information to uh to digest i mean we heard from uh i think 3 psychologists a psychiatrist two canonical law experts an economist a historian and those were just the expert witnesses and and many many other witnesses so the, the judge, understandably, had uh, had to go off and, and write a decision. You don't deciver, deliver a decision like that on the spot. And, and that took over a year, and a hundred-and-something page decision was delivered, uh, a very uh, carefully written one. Uh, we disagreed with the result, and we appealed it. And the Court of Appeal then had to consider the matter for over a year and generated its own carefully reasoned decision. So yeah things like that do add up though I think we've had at least twenty reported decisions from various levels of court, each of which involved a judge having to go off and and think these matters through and uh so yeah, it does take time, and uh that's hard on everybody. it's certainly hard hardest on the survivors, but I'm sure it was hard on the officials in of the archdiocese and everybody else. Have any
1: of these plaintiffs now received any compensation?
0: Yes. When the Christian Brothers uh, went through that bankruptcy process uh, I spoke of a moment ago, uh, there were over 400 claimants from all over North America and I think about, it was about, I'm trying to recall the exact amount, but it was approximately 15 million U.S. that was distributed. So the, the Mount Cashel claimants did reasonably well out of that because uh, their, their abuse and the circumstance of their abuse was, was quite serious. So there wasn't a whole lot of money to go around, but they did receive probably on average about 50 or $60,000 each.
1: My guest today on on Target is lawyer Jeff Budden. We're talking about this uh, uh, very lengthy process involving um, the uh, claims made against the church for abuse stemming uh, primarily from the former Mount Cashel Orphanage. We'll hear a little bit more about this process and uh, how it's been going when we come up uh, right after the break. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And our guest today is lawyer Jeff Budden. He's been involved, of course, in the uh, this process to settle sex abuse claims against the church uh, for abuse stemming primarily from the former Mount Cashel Orphanage. And uh, he just outlined the very long history and the many components related to this. So uh, part of this um, most recent part of the process was the sale of church properties. Where are we with that?
0: The, the the way the the uh, trustee in in bankruptcy approached this, with which we agreed, was the the Saint John's area properties, the Metro Saint John's properties, went up on tender, and uh, those tenders closed, I think June first, uh, or somewhere around there. And a number of bids were accepted. It was a process where people could submit bids. You could have or anybody could have. And uh, in many cases, church-related uh, groups did, such as the uh, the Basilica Heritage Corporation, I believe their name is, Heritage Foundation rather, who bid on the Basilica. And uh, so in June, the successful bidders were informed the court later approved those sales and those sales are basically being completed as we speak. Uh, The properties that didn't sell through the tender process, and there were some, have been listed with a local real estate agent and The out-of-town properties, the churches on the southern shore, the Bureum Peninsula, and so forth, a different approach was taken there. Rather than the tendering process, it was decided that the properties would be listed with real estate agents who were familiar with those particular areas. And that has been done uh, really over the past week that those listings have uh, have been uh, made public. So those properties are now for sale.
1: How much has been raised through that
0: process to date? The the set the properties that were sold through the tender process in St. John's, the the uh, realization there was 20.6 million if I recall correctly. And there there are other properties that have been sold outside of the tendering process, some uh, church rectories and so forth. And additionally, of course, there was the the settlement of the Chase the Ace uh, matter that you you probably recall from earlier this spring. So the, the pool of money that's presently available for distribution, and obviously expenses come out of this, but is in excess of $20 million at the moment.
1: So um, some of the arguments that were made during the course of this process is that, you know, in, in many cases, we're talking about church buildings. In one case, it was the basilica itself. And, and that has some limited commercial value, I suppose. So were there was some fears that some of these properties couldn't be sold?
0: Uh, that was a fear, uh, and, and I suppose uh, might still be for some properties, and as you you uh, mentioned with the basilica it's a uh, uh a large complex in the uh, in the heart of the city but it's also uh, a building of great uh, historic significance and uh and and plus a beautiful building we all we all see that so you, it's not something you can just go in and approach it as you would an old you know, warehouse or something else that was no longer needed and just knock it down. So the commercial potential for a property like the Basilica was always going to be limited because there's a limited number of things you can do with it. And uh, that might be a factor in uh, some properties, but it's uh, not as much so as as you might think. There are creative people out there who who look at a property and, and see all kinds of potential for it. And, and there are also groups uh, already associated with that property who, who want to preserve it, who are parishioners in a particular parish and say, this is important to us and we're going to raise money and get financing and... Uh, and uh, carry it forward into the future
1: no doubt this had to be a very emotional process and um, I think we've heard a lot of conversations that have been happening over the last little while about that I mean these aren't just buildings these aren't just uh, historic structures these, these are buildings in some cases that are imbued with the very essence of the people who came before us, uh, people who uh, volunteered their time to build some of these buildings, to put in pews, to uh, people who have donated money and church suppers and all the rest of it to keep the maintenance up so there's a real emotional connection to a lot of these buildings this had to be a really tough process.
0: Oh I'm sure it is. Uh, there are of course some properties here where that's not true I mean there's vacant land and, and uh, abandoned buildings and so forth but but that's uh, that, that leaving that aside what you're saying is absolutely true. There are uh, uh, particularly the churches, the parish churches that people have as one would expect a strong emotional connection to you know churches that people have attended all their lives and their parents or grandparents have attended all their lives so yes it's it's uh understandable that this is a process that people are are worried about even frightened about and uh their their one option open to them is to is to raise funds and to preserve those churches into the future and preserve them safe from the possibility of any claims such as this coming forward if they do it right
1: Yes, you, know, you indicated, not all the properties um, offered for sale were sold. What what happens with that now?
0: Uh, those that had, did not sell through the tender process are now being listed, as you know I noted, through a real estate agent, and uh, that is unfolding as we speak. I saw an ad on Twitter just yesterday from uh, the agent who was listing some around St. John's. So they're, they're available for purchase, and... Uh, uh, we're hopeful that, that most, if not all of them, will sell through the normal real estate processes.
1: So there had been a lot of speculation as to whether or not school properties would be included in this settlement because the history of Newfoundland and Labrador is such that uh, the churches were the ones that were involved in educating the public. That uh, was a, um, uh, I guess, a a process that they were involved in uh, dating back to the early 1800s in some cases. Uh, So I want to talk to you a little bit about the school properties because I understand there's some new developments there as well when we come back after the break. My guest today on Ontario, Is lawyer Jeff Budden. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And our guest today is lawyer Jeff Budden, and uh, now we're getting into the real crux of things, uh, aren't we? So there were was some speculation as to whether or not school properties could be included in this settlement. And of course, uh, the schools were run by the various churches for many, many years until the dissolution of um, denominational education back in the early
0: 90s. So so where are we now with the schools? Well, where we're to now, as, as you said, the... Uh In our our childhood, mine anyway, almost all education in Newfoundland was delivered through schools. And that ended in 1998. And the the, uh, government of the day, having essentially abolished denominational education and taken upon itself the responsibility to educate children, uh, found itself with no schools. So it had a mission, but no schools. Meanwhile, the church had no mission anymore, but schools. So what the government could have done was bought those for fair market value. What they did instead was essentially uh, amend the Schools Act to give the government, through the boards, permission to operate those schools as long as they wanted (coughs) for no compensation. So the effect of that... Is for 20 something years now. The uh, the 30 plus schools that have been uh, that are owned by the Episcopal Corporation by the church. And there's no doubt. Nobody is doubting they they own them. You do a title search. That's whose name the property is in. Uh, these have been uh, taken without compensation by the government. And uh, we are now in an insolvency, which for reasons that uh, will take a lot more than an hour to go into uh, is is part of a federal legal process and we believe that that takes uh, a certain precedence over the provincial law that that allowed the government to do this so we are arguing in the insolvency that those schools are really just another church asset and should be used to uh, also be available to compensate survivors Now. As I was saying to Brian yesterday, that doesn't mean that those schools are going to be taken and sold for totally different purposes. At the end of the day, the government still has to educate children, and uh, we're simply looking for compensation. So it would seem likely that if we were to succeed in this case, there'd be no real disruption in the, the lives of school children. The government would simply have to come to terms with the fact that they're using property that doesn't belong to them and, and compensate the true owners of that property, which is, in effect, compensating survivors of abuse because they're the ones who will uh, be left in the cold if, if these schools are not uh, available to uh, to help compensate these survivors.
1: So has the court made a determination yet on your argument?
0: No. With that is being heard in November, what the court has determined, just a decision released just uh, this week, is we, uh, in order to prepare for November, we uh, request of the government uh, a number of... Uh, batches of documents. And the government, for the most part, resisted that, said that it wasn't relevant or would impose too heavy a burden on the government and so forth. And uh, that decision was, uh, that position was rejected pretty clearly by the court that ordered that uh, that most of what we wanted uh, should be disclosed to us. And, and, to their credit, the government and the school board seem to be making honest efforts from correspondence I've had just this week to, uh, to generate that material. So we're hopeful that we will really receive that re- material without having to push the matter any further, and, and we'll go into our November hearing in a position to make our arguments.
1: So we're not there yet, but what could it mean in terms of these uh, school buildings and their sale?
0: Uh, what it could mean is that the government will no longer have the option of, of simply occupying them for as long as they want without paying any anything at all to the true owners of the building. So that, that's a goal we're seeking because, of course, if the church has no uh, claim to these buildings, then the survivors are left in the cold. And that's obviously not a result we're prepared to live with without a fight.
1: So we've heard here in, in the newsroom, I've heard from numerous people, from members of the Roman Catholic community who overwhelmingly agree that you reap what you sow and that the plaintiffs are entitled to what they are owed for the abuses they suffered. But now we're getting into a process whereby the people of Newfoundland and Labrador could potentially be paying for the sins of the church. And some have asked why the parishes and now the province, arguably, will have to pay for this. What is it about the the structure and hierarchy, I suppose, of the church that means that the parishes, or in this case, the schools or the provincial government, has to pay?
0: Uh this is the way I would characterize it, and I'll try not to be too long-winded. The uh, the way the Church has organized its affairs since the 1890s is through a corporation called the Roman Catholic Episcopal Corporation of St. John's. And that's uh, a corporation just as, uh, I guess, Walmart is or any corporation in the sense that it holds property, it uh, it owns things such as cars, operates pension funds, Because while the church obviously has a spiritual mission, it conducts that mission in the real world. So if you're going to preach, you need a a church to to deliver the message in. If you are going to have priests, they they need a place to live. They need vehicles to be transported around. They need to be supported. So the way the church here and and most everywhere organizes affairs is at the diocesan level, or archdiocese in this case, they organize a corporation. And uh, when it comes to legal accountability, in, in this case for for a lawsuits based on sexual abuse, but I, I suppose it could be if, if somebody w- was coming out of church and and tripped over a loose uh, a loose step and fell because the guardrail wasn't in place and broke their arm, uh, they too would sue the church. It's uh, it's the or would rather sue the Episcopal Corporation. It's how the church manages its liability. So when we began this lawsuit uh, back in December 1999, our research quite quickly turned to this as being the appropriate party, and that's never in dispute. So what that means is when this matter did ultimately go to court and we received a judgment, the judgment is against the Episcopal Corporation, which in turn has been the property-holding arm of this church without uh, anybody disputing, without anybody, uh, as far as I know, ever questioning that uh, back into the 1890s. So we therefore have a judgment against the Episcopal Corporation, for 2.6 million, which, but for the the insolvency, we could have uh, you know we could have seized a, a church to sell, or or done really anything the law allows to to realise on your judgment. So where the church finds itself now, where the parishioners find themselves now, is the church property, which includes these par- these churches and parishes up and down the southern shore, the Bjorn Peninsula and so forth, are are now property of the church that must be sold to compensate or otherwise the value obtained from from compensating survivors and if you have a moment I, I just want to talk a little more about that because the <clears throat> it, it goes out saying that this is not being done for for frivolous reasons, but to pay court-ordered compensation to men and women who were, as children, uh, sexually exploited by adults who were working on behalf of the church. And there's been, by my calculation, and you know something I've thought a, a lot about, there has to be at least uh, 20 priests and Christian brothers who've been criminally convicted of sexually assaulting children. In, in this archdiocese alone, so it's it's a, been a big problem. That's the reason why the church is now facing 50 plus million dollars in liability. And th- these are children from every part of the archdiocese, and we've kept kids in Mount Cashel, from tiny communities on the Buren Peninsula, from uh, everywhere in uh, in the rural parts of the district, from the heart of St. John's, Queen's Road, and so forth. It's a uh, there were children from all over the district, and abusive priests were priests were in various parts of the of the district so this is not some one off local problem it was a systemic problem for decades, and the moment of reckoning is now at hand and sort of the second part of your question. Uh, what's the fairness or the the rightness of turning to to hardworking women and men out in the parishes who have supported these churches? And I think the answer there has been made clear by the Supreme Court of Canada in a decision of over 20 years ago where uh, Madam Justice McLaughlin, who is the Chief Justice of Canada, uh, basically said, look, this is a terrible choice. We have a, a not-for-profit that does good work, uh, that does uh, essential work, uh, and and that has to be respected. But you also have uh, children who were abused, and quite in this case, if not for if we weren't out there. Uh, looking to, to to sell these rural churches and so forth, or, or better still, have the parishioners attempt to buy them back. There would not be enough money to pay compensation. It's simply not there. The, the bulk of the Archdiocesan assets are in their property, and the bulk of those are churches. So it's a pretty cold binary choice. You either leave these survivors without... Ad- adequate compensation. And by adequate, I mean what courts order. You know, these are not just numbers we make up. A judge heard six weeks of evidence and ordered these numbers, and the Court of Appeal and ultimately the Supreme Court of Canada uh, uh, agreed with that. So the- these are-, are serious damages and are serious numbers, and they can only be satisfied, if at all, by by going into the communities and getting the value out of these church buildings and by getting the value out of the schools. Otherwise, the survivors will be left in the cold. And uh, as uh, as Madam Justice McLaughlin said... Uh, the She cannot accept the idea that children, like the respondents, in this case, the one she 's talking about, must bear the cost of the harm that has been done to them so that others in society may benefit from the good work of not profit organizations. So it's really a choice. You either accept the fact that the church must, and all members of the church to some degree, must uh, do their bit to satisfy these judgments, or you you basically just say these these men and women who suffered harm, uh, legally recognized harm, who were awarded legally recognized damages, will not be compensated. So you're basically turning away to 80-year-old men. And saying you're you're not going to get your judgment because uh, people are unwilling to uh, to to raise the the funds or to see their churches sold. So uh, I don't mean to sound harsh, but you can be sympathetic to the parishioners and to everybody who is impacted by this. But to where does the sympathy most properly lie? With the the people who have to now deal with a problem or the people who have been dealing with those problems for 70 years my
1: guest today on on target is jeff budden and i want to ask you a little bit more about the schools aspect of this when we come back after the break join us for on target one hour in which linda swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your vocm Our guest today is lawyer Jeff Budden. We've been talking about uh, uh, this whole process of settling sex abuse claims against the church for abuse stemming primarily, of course, from the former Mount Cashel orphanage. And now uh, comes word that uh, there's a possibility that the um, schools could be involved in this or school properties uh, owned by the Roman Catholic Church. So how many schools are we talking about? Right off the top of my head, I think quite a few prominent schools that could be affected. Holy Heart of Mary, Mary Queen of Peace, St. Teresa. Brother Rice. The list goes on and on. Uh, how many schools are we talking about?
0: I think it's about uh, 30 or, or slightly more. It, not including actually Holy Heart because the, the nuns owned uh, that, so that's not part of this litigation. But otherwise, you're right. A lot of uh, a lot of the schools around St. John's that you and I know would be part of this.
1: So, how do you set a fair price for a school building?
0: Well, uh, ultimately, the price is what people are willing to pay for it, as with uh, everything else here, and how, I guess, the process of, of appraisal of a, a qualified commercial appraiser is uh, generally how you approach that if, if the parties want, the, the present occupier wants to continue to own it. We're, I should say we're, we're a ways from that. We still have to win our court case, but that's how it would unfold, I would imagine.
1: Uh, schools, of course, purpose-built. Um, some newer than others. Uh, St. Teresa's is a brand new school, of course, but some of the others uh, getting up there in age. So they would have to be assessed each individually, I would think.
0: Uh, yeah, and the, and you know, there, there may be set-offs depending on, on the relative contributions of the parties uh, towards the school. So it's it's going to be a, a complicated legal battle followed by a complicated accounting exercise.
1: Arguably, could the only uh, entities in, interested in a school building be the the government itself?
0: Well, uh, no. I think some of the schools in particular, if you look at Gonzaga, and that, that beautiful big plot of land, I, I'm i quite confident there would be lots of interest in, in that property, for instance. But but you're right. I mean, a school system has evolved organically and through a lot of planning so that there's an elementary school here and one uh, another couple of kilometers away in high schools here and there and If somebody had to recreate such a system from scratch, acquire the land, build all the new schools, it would cost you know an absolute fortune i mean several hundred million dollars, no doubt so it I cannot imagine the government would want to do that all in one go, and for our part, we uh, have no particular interest in in uh, in, in a, a complicated sales process, if there are present occupiers who who wanted to maintain their occupation. So again, it's it's leaping ahead. We we're we're not there yet, or anywhere close to there. But yeah, that the process is very unlikely to see people having to uh, scramble to find new schools in September, that kind of thing. It's more likely to be an accounting exercise rather than a moving exercise
1: so the purpose here is not to see these schools close
0: that's not the purpose for any of this the purpose is to is to realize the the, the, the compensation the, the, to raise the funds that is necessary to pay the legal compensation and in most cases the present occupier whether it's uh, a big high school or a small parish church uh, would be a, a good fit it's up to those parties to to uh, to truly acquire the property and get it away from the morass of debt that it presently struggles under. So you
1: said there uh, are 30, perhaps 30-plus 30 schools involved. Uh, where are they located? Are they primarily in metro or are they outside the metro region as well?
0: They're all over the place. The Archdiocese takes in uh, most of the Avalon Peninsula other than Conception Bay North and the Burem Peninsula. So if you uh, you live anywhere in that district and you're going to school, and that school was formerly a Catholic school, then that school is part of this litigation.
1: And, of course, because of the traditional, I guess, uh, large Roman Catholic uh, population in St. John's, a lot of them happen to be in St. John's.
0: Yeah, and likewise, I mean, if you're going down the southern shore, then, yes, most of the schools, if not all of them, were historically Catholic. And St. Mary's Bay, same thing, and, and so on. So,
1: as you say, we're not there yet. So what do you expect to happen now, between now and November?
0: We, have, uh, uh, we understand we're... we're uh, uh, considerable volume of material is going to be made available to us in terms of documents. So we'll be uh, going through those, us and the, uh, our financial advisors appointed by the court. And uh, when November comes, we will uh, make our arguments informed by that information.
1: And uh, are you hopeful?
0: Yes, we we wouldn't have uh, brought the application and gotten the hopes of our clients raised if we didn't think we had a, a solid argument, uh, there'd be no point in that. So we while we're aware there are you know, the, the government has arguments too. Uh, we, we do have a lot of confidence in ours, particularly the the insolvency angle that, that uh, has emerged in a way that probably wasn't contemplated at the time the uh this legislation was passed.
1: Arguably, though, this this could drag the process out even longer, and you're more uh, intimately familiar with uh, all the permeations there. Uh, I mean, uh, is there a point at, 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 or any point where you say, this is enough now, um, the clients have been uh, adequately uh, compensated, or, you know, I mean, we're talking about time as well as, as other matters. Uh, so at what point do you say... This process is now complete.
0: <clears throat> well, there, there is a significant uh, uh, fund presently available, so there's no reason at law, and we've seen this in other insolvencies, that you can't have what are called interim distributions. So there's, there's a whole other aspect of this litigation, which is valuing the claims and providing a date by which people have to come forward. And on another front, that's uh, being worked on. But it it needn't be a case where tens of millions of dollars, or at least, you know, 20 plus millions of dollars sit in in a trust account while we fight over over another another uh, piece of property or th- 30 piece of property in case of the schools so you can't have interim interim distributions as for the rest of it uh always in life there is there is value and compromise trying to find common ground to uh to avoid long drawn out litigation and and we certainly know that and appreciate that so uh uh, that, that informs the strategy, too. Is there a resolution here short of a long, drawn out court battle? And uh, and you know, that's always a possibility.
1: What's it been like dealing with the Roman Catholic Episcopal Corporation to now? I know they've fought this all the way along, uh, but uh, since the insolvency, I suppose things have been moving a little bit quicker. What's it been like?
0: Uh, dealing with the brothers was much more of a, of a challenge in terms of uh, they were just— uh, much more, uh, uh, much more obstructionist. Dealing with the, the, you know, they they have their views and 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 took their position. We uh, the the litigation was conducted, I thought, in a very civil manner. I had no issues with any of their lawyers, nor do I think they with me. Uh, but it's uh, that we're probably sick of each other by this point, but we're we're bound together for a while yet.
1: And finally, Jeff, what's, what's your message, I suppose, to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador?
0: I think the message is that real harm was done here, that that's harm that's recognized by the courts, recognized by psychologists, certainly recognized by anybody who's ever suffered anything of this sort, and harm that has to be compensated for. And while that will involve uh, hardship there's there's a burden here to be to be born and why should the survivors be expected to walk away from what is legally theirs any more than any of us should walk away from our houses or our cars or our pensions or anything else that's legally ours so they that will involve people making tough decisions and painful decisions about about property that's important to them and uh, you'd have to be very cold to to not have sympathy there, but I think you'd have to be colder still to expect a survivor to to walk away from their legal entitlement. And that's an entitlement that that is there because they suffered harm, just as a person hit by a car suffers harm or a person who loses a loved one suffers harm. And that's what this is all about.
1: No doubt it's uh, been a long um, and very emotional process. It's a complicated one. I appreciate you taking the time to help explain it to us. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome, Linda. Take care.
1: You too. Bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to be talking a little bit of history tomorrow, so stay tuned for that Um, on on Target. My voice held up, David. Uh, Yay! Uh, So (laughs) we'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening.